today we are going to continue our series called Exodus, uh, which is oftentimes our prayer to the Lord when we face challenges. Get me out of here, Lord. Get me away from here. This is not where I want to be. We've been teaching through the book of Exodus, and uh, it's, we've been learning a lot of lessons the Israelites themselves are learning. We've been finding that God's word is timeless and still applies to us. For those of you who may not know me, I'm Pastor Dylan, by the way. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I have the privilege of opening God's Word today. Thank you. Uh, For those of you who are joining the stream, we appreciate you being here as well. Last week, Pastor Paul walked us through the ten plagues and began opening up the Jewish festival called the Passover. And uh, that's his area of expertise. He did his doctoral work in Israel itself, so you won't want to miss next week where we go into the crossing of the Red Sea, more into the Passover, and all of that. If you do happen to miss any message, though, and you want to catch up on that, you can do so by going to lolag.org. You can go to the media drop-down on our website if you want further teachings and go a little bit deeper into the Bible than we're able to do here on Sunday mornings. Today, though, I want to focus on this small paragraph that's in between the, fa- the festival of Passover and the crossing of the Red Sea. It's this paragraph that Moses writes that we often just skip over because I think we'd prefer to ignore it. Today is a lesson on patience, right? Have you ever heard the saying, don't pray for patience, the Lord will give it to you? Well, today I think we have a lesson that the Lord needs to give us on patience. It's a lesson that's hardest for me, but one of the most necessary. And in a world that tells us we must have immediate gratification that pushes us at a fevered pitch, a microwave-like society, you are presented a different way from God. And if you get one thing out of today, I hope it's this that God takes you on the long road. He doesn't take you on the quick and easy route. He takes you on the long road. He teaches us patience on a scenic route. Today, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. And we're going to start in verse 17 and go all the way through the end of the chapter. You can read that in whatever version you like. I'm going to read it in the ESV because that's the one I like. Again, that's Exodus 13 going from verse 17. Here we go. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people, of, led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Atham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went up before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people." Father, we come to you this morning in humility, asking us that your presence, your pillar, would lead us where we need to go. Lord, you said that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I pray it would do what you said it would accomplish today, God, that it would light up our next step, that it wouldn't be a spotlight way out in front of us because you said a fool's eyes are cast to the end of the earth, but the wise person looks directly in front of them. God, help us not to plan out everything, but to trust you for the immediate. Help us to worry, Lord, not about yesterday, not about tomorrow, but let our worries be sufficient for today because you're with us. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. I grew up in upstate New York, 
uh, and I had access to really endless streams and lakes and rivers. It was a it was a natural paradise in the summer months, but in winter it was absolutely terrible. I hated it. But I loved it in summer. And I had a uh, chocolate lab. Uh, his name was Dudley. That's literally the only picture I have of him. I think I was yelling at him for something there. I think he like peed on the carpet or something. But uh, he was my adventuring companion. And wherever I would go, he'd come with me. And he liked to go swimming, so I'd take him swimming a lot. And as soon as we would arrive at one swimming hole in particular, my dog would know that that's where we're going, and he'd get all excited. And as soon as you open the car door, he would, like, leap out, run down to the riverbed, and, like, virtually fly into the water. It's like he sprouted wings. And uh, he would get into the water on the riverbed, and he'd love to bite at the little crayfish. They'd be all around. He'd be snapping at them. Some of you call them crawfish or crawdads. It sounds really unpleasant, and you're just wrong. It's like country music. It's It doesn't sound nice. Everyone should call them crayfish. But he would bite at the water, and he'd kick up all of this mud. And the problem is, as soon as I want to get into the water, the whole riverbed is obscured, and I have to walk over a minefield of now very angry crayfish. Eventually, I learned that it's better not to hurry in, not to rush, but to wait, let the mud settle, and then slowly get in after my dog causes his chaos. Otherwise, you're going to get an unpleasant pinch. Carl Jung, the German psychologist, said this, Hurry is not from the devil. Hurry is the devil. And I can attest that hurry can definitely hurt like the devil. But it takes us a lifetime to learn that in the areas that really matter in life. When God records something about patience in his book, it's for our instruction. The same way that God wants to bring the Israelites in to train them to be his covenant people, to be a people that's different, in the new covenant, God wants to do the same thing through the blood of his son. He's got something to teach you through the Old Testament because he still wants to make a people for his own possession today, you and I. So when something's recorded, it's important that we don't make the same mistakes that the Israelites did, but that we learn from their mistakes. In fact, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul says about this same passage, Our fathers were all under the pillar of cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized with Moses in the sea. Yet with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. You see, God wants to train us to be the people that we need to be. The lesson of patience here is written for your instruction and my instructions. We need the same mercy and patience from God that the Israelites needed to become the proper people. God knew that they were getting ahead of themselves, though. And listen to what it says in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. I want you to take a look at this map for a moment. It's a satellite image of Egypt, and you might have some trouble seeing it. Right to the east of Egypt there, you'll see that blue line that says the way of the Philistines. That is a road, and that's the fastest route. The yellow line is the way the Israelites actually ended up taking and wandering around in that area for about 40 years, called the way of the wilderness. This road is called such and leads to the promised land in modern-day Israel because it was colonized by this group of Greeks called Philistines. They settled there and in the promised land itself, so it became known as the way of the Philistines. This is the most obvious, expedient, and direct route from Egypt to where the Israelites know that they've been promised, where they know they're going. But God knows they need something else. 
He says to himself, I know this way is near, and I know they're not ready for it. I know the obstacles they're going to face. I know the fights that they're going to have to endure, and they're not prepared for what I have for them yet. You see, just like the Jewish people, each of us, we need transformation before God brings us to our desired destination. We're not ready for the fight that's required, and God is merciful when he takes us away from the most direct route in our life and instead places us on a different one for our own sakes. Jesus said it this way, and I love this, to his own disciples in John chapter 16. I still have many things to say to you but you cannot bear them right now. God's objective is not simply to get Israel to the promised land. It's to get the right version of Israel to the promised land because it's of far greater importance to God to shape what's inside of you than it is for God to bring you to the place that you want to be, and we hate that. All of us have a vision of where we ought to be, and resentment can settle in when we don't reach it in our appointed time frames. Julius Caesar was upset that he didn't reach where Alexander the Great did by the time he was 30, not realizing that he's going to have a much more enduring legacy. It just requires a little patience. Life is not a race. And in like manner, God is not on your timetable. He's eternal, and he might lead you a way that you're not expecting. So how does God teach us patience? First and foremost, by avoiding the quick and the easy route. Your objective and God's objective are not the same. And it may take you longer than expected and may take you in a different course than you thought. And this is easy until it becomes personal, isn't it? Anybody can agree with that until it hits you in reality. I can't help but reminisce with it being Valentine's Day, but I learned a little bit about patience through heartache, like most of us do. And I asked her permission before sharing this because some of you may know Krista and love her as I do, and I don't say this to speak ill. Uh, But a missionary we support named Krista and I, we dated from 2015 to about 2018, and I flew to Rome to propose to her with her entire family. Uh, She's a missionary, she was a missionary there, to all the refugees displaced by the Arab Spring, and though the news outlets and the media might have forgotten about them, thank you to those of you who are faithful in your mission support, because we still support missionaries working among refugees there today, so thank you for doing that. She was one of those missionaries, so I flew there with her family to propose. And though I would have preferred to marry, she said that she wasn't ready yet and didn't want to. And I respect that because it took honesty, it took bravery to say that to somebody you've been with for a long time. So we talked and we mutually agreed to end things in Rome. And needless to say, I was confused and heartbroken and I was asking myself, how did my life end up here? How did it take such a left turn? How how did all of this take place? And then I said the sentence that nobody should ever, ever, ever say to themselves, this night could not get any worse. My best friend Anthony happened to be with me in Rome and was staying with me, shared Airbnb. So after the proposal went south, we're like, well, whatever, you know, let's try to make the best of the night. We went out, we had the worst iced tea we've ever had. I didn't know you could have bad iced tea, but it exists. We got gelato thinking, you can't have fine bad gelato in Rome. We found it. It was the worst gelato I've ever had. A drunk guy wouldn't leave us alone. It was bothering us. And then we rode a scooter all the way down the big hill of Rome, ran out of gas at the bottom of the hill, and it started raining at midnight. So we pushed it all the way back up the hill and got home around 2 a.m. Your night can get worse, in fact. 
It was the worst night of my life. And in moments like that, you can laugh or you can cry. So I chose to laugh a lot, and I made the best of Rome. You can check that out here. I have those same chiseled abs. They're just underneath the shirt. You can't see them. We're basically the same. Uh, you can go to the next one. I ate at every pizza spot I could find. It was, you can't find bad pizza in Rome. It was amazing. It made up for everything. I didn't care. And then Anthony made me feel good about myself, and we did a fashion shoot, and he's a photographer, so there I am. Yeah, I should put that on a dating site. I'm ready to get hurt again. Look at that. But sometimes you just got to roll with the punches. You got to laugh it off. You got you to just take life as it comes and not expect everything's going to go your way, right? You walk up to your apartment. Your keys are always in the wrong pocket. You, you're low on gas when it's not convenient and you're late to work. I mean, life is life, and you just take it as it comes. You, you can't expect everything to go your way. But when you're detoured in life, and you draw near to God and keep your eye on the pillar, he's going to meet you there. Don't grow resentful and take the shortcuts in life. I learned in moments where you're, at, where you're knocked off course, you're sidelined by life, that can be the hand of God taking you in a direction you never would have chose to go on your own. And whether or not you reap the blessing and the benefit of what God is trying to do in your life is entirely up to you. There's an old Russian proverb that says the same boiling water hardens the potato and so, or so, excuse me hardens the egg and softens the potato. You get to choose which you become under the disappointment of your detour. Waiting can harden you like Pharaoh or it can soften you to God's guidance. Just for a second, young people, being that it's Valentine's Day, I'm going to give you some unsolicited advice. I know I don't look that much older than you, but Hear me out, all right? If you're with the wrong person, spare yourself the pain and just walk away. Just end it, okay? Don't, don't mess around. Don't, don't take the short way out. Don't take the easy way out. It will disappoint you. Have the courage to walk away from the person who's not right for you because the cost is not worth it. And the time lost, the pain endured, however, is worth it. The book of Ecclesiastes said it is good for a young person to bear the burden of the Lord when they are young. The Israelites paid a cost to not take the quick way. They paid a cost to avoid the way of the Philistines. They had to face some things about their enemy, about themselves, and about God that they would not otherwise have had to do. Older people, you're not exempt from this. I'm coming after you too. Don't be discouraged that you're not where you thought you'd be in your career or in your life or maybe even in your relationship. Be flexible that the way you think life ought to have been maybe isn't the way God intended it to be. It becomes harder to think that way when you get older, that you might be wrong. But Proverbs 18.1 says, Only a fool has no interest in understanding, but only in expressing their own opinion. You see, God doesn't measure success the same way you do, and he doesn't accomplish it in the same time frame that you might. One of the best productivity books I ever read and actually was forced to read by Pastor Paul was called Getting Things Done. It's a, it's a book that we have most of the staff read, and in this, the author, David Allen, says this. Patience is the calm acceptance that things can happen in a different order than the one you had in mind. Let me say that again. Patience is the calm acceptance that things can happen in a different order than the one you had in mind. And Jesus' own brother James says, Be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. 
You've heard of the steadfastness of Job and have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is both compassionate and merciful. That's James 5. Last week, Pastor Paul mentioned Job as a premier example of what the Israelites are learning here and what you and I learn every single day on this long road called life. And it is this, that God is delaying you for your good and he is merciful in all his detours. How does God teach us patience? By avoiding the quick and the easy way. Next, in verse 18 to 20, I want you to pay attention to what the Lord says. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Atham on the edge of the wilderness. How does God teach us patience? Number two, by taking the long way. By taking the long way. God not only avoids the shortest and most convenient route in your life, but sometimes will intentionally lead you to a spot that is between a rock and a hard place. With the wilderness on one side, the Red Sea on the other, the Israelites are at a strategic and logistical disadvantage. They're without defense, and in their own minds, they have three options. Die of thirst in the wilderness, drown in the Red Sea, or face a far superior military force which they have no shot of beating. What if God's road exists to put you in a situation that you don't like so that he can teach you something about himself? What if you are where you are because God wants you there? And I want you to pay attention at this point because it's very easy to blame yourself. The Israelites have done nothing good or evil yet. God is not punishing them by putting them here. This is not to get rid of any sin in their life. He intentionally leads them here for a good reason, but they don't know what it is yet. And God gives them a sign of his presence to make sure Listen, I'm still with you. I'm still for you. I haven't abandoned you. I'm right beside you. This is not an accident. He says in verse 21 and 22, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud, and the Lord went before them by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, and did not depart from before the people. God knew they needed a physical reminder, a marker to follow, something to give them, give them the confidence that they're still headed in the right direction when it felt wrong. Something in front of them that said, I'm still with you. I know it's hard right now, but I'm here. You're not here by accident. It's not a mistake. You're right where I want you. You see, I think the Israelites aren't that different from you and I. When we're in bad situations, we think, I'm here because God's punishing me. I'm here because God has left me. Or maybe even, I'm here because I made a wrong turn, lost my way, and messed up God's plan. And none of that is true. Israelites have done nothing but listen to God up to this point. And some of you are in a place where you've done everything you know to do for God, but it still feels like you're on the wrong road. You see, God's presence leads us to some difficult, dry places. God's Spirit led Moses and the Israelites into the wilderness. God's Spirit leads Elijah into the wilderness. God's Spirit leads Daniel into exile. God's Spirit leads his own son into the wilderness to be tempted and tried by Satan himself. God's Spirit leads us to some places we would rather not go. 
So do not be shocked when God takes you to a place you did not expect. Pastor Paul often says it well, God is the God of the zigzag. I did some ancestry research a few years ago and found out some fascinating stuff about my family. My uh, grandfather served as a paratrooper in the Second World War, and according to my great-uncle, they called him the priest, even though he wasn't a chaplain, because he would make all the soldiers be quiet at night. He'd make them all shut up and get down on their knees and pray. (laughs) And uh, his mother was a praying woman who would ask the Lord, God, please give me a descendant who would serve me in ministry. And here I am today. My great-grandfather on my dad's side lived a really rough life. He was a drunk, and he would get into brawls all the time. But his last days, God redeemed him, and he died by the side of the four chaplains who died on the SS Dorchester, who gave up their lives so that others could get on the life rafts, and they sang hymns as the boat sank. I think when I reflect on it, God was working faith into my family for a very long time before I came along. But why do I bring that up? Because maybe the long road you're on isn't exclusively about you. Maybe, just like Moses in this passage, you're carrying the bones of your predecessor out of Egypt because sometimes your sacrifice is so God can fulfill his purpose for the person that is coming after you. Maybe the long road you're on is for the sake of your children or your children's children or for those who will look up to your legacy after you are gone so they never have to experience what you did so that they know God for themselves when they're young. Your battle with addiction is so that your children could be free of it. Your marital struggles exist so that your kids and your grandkids can look up to you as an example of how to do it right and how to fight fair. But it's so easy to lose perspective when we're focused on the long stretch of road that's in front of us instead of the pillar of God. God said to us through Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts are higher than yours. Because when we're hyper-focused on the here and now, we can lose sight of God's higher vision for our life. Joseph prepared the way for Moses. Moses prepared the way for Joshua. Joshua prepared the way for Samuel, and Samuel ushered in the kings of Israel and David, and through the line of David, the the Christ, Jesus, came to us, redeemed us, and we are here because of all of their trials and sacrifices today. Your trials are not accidental, and they're not something you just need to get through. God has something to show you and those who are going to follow in your footsteps on this long road called life. Imagine how hollow our prayers would be if we did not have the sufferings of David recorded in the book of Psalms to pray through. Imagine how weak and empty our faith would be without the trials and temptations of Christ to to pave a way for us, to show us there is a way to get through this by relying on God's Spirit. What if on our long road we saw it as the providential hand of God, the plan and design of our Father in action, rather than an interruption of our plan and our purpose. How does God teach us patience? Number two, by taking the long road. And the long road is never just for the person after you. It's for you too. If I could stand Joseph and Moses here today, I would have no doubt that they would not regret a single thing they suffered in life. They knew God was with them the whole time, and a lifetime with him, with all of its hardship, is worth more than all the world has to offer in its blessings. 
The writer of Psalm 84 says it this way, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. No good thing does he withhold from those who will walk uprightly. Knowing God is with you outweighs everything else. And the objective of your patience leads you to God himself. You see, the pillar of cloud and fire aren't just a compass. They're not just a GPS. They are the lesson itself. Better is the wilderness with God than the way of the Philistines without him. Better is trial and tribulation and hardship with God by your side than all the blessings and pleasures that the world has to offer apart from him. That is the objective of their patience. When I graduated college the professor I worked for, Dr. Ritchie, gave me a congratulatory card. And in addition to a generous gift, he wrote something that I think I'm beginning to understand. In his typical short, to-the-point, terse fashion, he wrote, Kid, when faced with the easy way and the hard way, always choose the hard way. Congrats. I mean, needless to say, I don't think he had the spiritual gift of encouragement and wasn't very inspirational. Now, I think I know what he meant. He doesn't mean always do the hardest thing. The Bible does not teach us we're supposed to enjoy all the difficult things in life. That's a misunderstanding of it. What he meant was, when you experience hardships, don't run from them. Embrace them, because you'll find God in them. You can find the cloud between the rock and the hard place. And the sea only parts if you follow the pillar. You see, the supernatural happens when you take the natural step of obedience and faith in a direction that you do not want to go. And you don't have to repeat the lesson like the Israelites did. If you see God's presence is with you, and that's what's mattered all along, and that's the lesson he's been attempting to communicate. God is with you. Who can be against you? Peter, Jesus' appointed leader to the church, says this, You rejoice in your great salvation, though right now you're being tested and grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and honor when Jesus comes, because you love him even though you don't see him yet. See, the promised land isn't a destination. Loving God is our true objective. And he's preparing us to be the right kind of people when we finally get to him. I'm going to invite the worship team back at this time. See, God's preparing the kind of people who can say along with his son Jesus, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their own soul? See, when you're in the wilderness, God is going to give you what you need. When you take the long route, he's going to teach you a lesson that you really need to thrive in life. See, I think we all have our way of the wilderness moments or years, right? Mine came in 2018. Not only did everything kind of fall apart in Rome in the summer, but by the time December reached, I was so close to giving up. I was buried in $900 a month student loan payments. Everything in my life seemed to disintegrate. And I was asking myself, how did I get here? Did I, did I make a mistake in going into ministry, to doing what I've done? Am I really where I'm supposed to be? You see, part of me knew that God had led me to where I was, but 
Another part of me paid for it the only way I knew how, and that was debt. And I was drowning in it. You know, I've learned something. God takes your mistakes, your shortcomings into account when he leads you in a direction. He doesn't lead there and say, oh, you messed it up. See ya. See, I felt that I followed the pillar, but my circumstance was screaming, you're on the wrong road. Give it up and leave. And right as I felt like collapsing, God pulled through. Don't give up walking because the road is long. See, he used a couple I'd barely met only a few times to pay off $50,000 of my student debt in a day. And I keep the receipt in the front of this Bible to remind me that I'm on the right track, that I'm on the right road, even though it's been long and it's been difficult. And that sounds miraculous, but he can do those things for you. You see, there's nothing overly spiritual about being a pastor. You are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. God is leading you especially when it seems wrong and doesn't feel right. Some of you have to lay down the overbearing burden of figuring out your own life and measuring it out by the teaspoon, to lay down the anxiety of it all, the disappointment, the resentment, and trust that where God has led you in the daytime by the pillar of cloud is the place he's going to give you light by the pillar of fire at night. Because the pain of the road, though it's long, is worth it. I see God as my provider far more now than I ever would have otherwise. And God might be teaching you something on the long road that you're on about himself. But you may not know what it is yet. The Israelites had no idea. You may not have the answer to that, but hindsight will be 2020. You see, the Israelites didn't know where they were going. You just see the pillar is moving and you move with it. Even when it seems in your estimation and in your wisdom to be moving in the wrong direction, you follow God by faith. You see, in verse 18, the Israelites are ready to go out to battle. It says they were equipped for battle, but they were itching for a fight that they would surely lose. God can see something and redirect it. And maybe the Lord is delaying and detouring and interrupting your warpath because he sees he's merciful and you can't take it. Maybe your life falling to pieces is actually God holding it together and preventing its total collapse. And I think that the Lord wants to shift your perspective. Because sometimes you can get so resentful over the road not taken that you fail to see where God is meeting you on the road that you are. There is not a more perfect plan for your life. You are exactly where God wants you. God has led you to where you are, and he's going to keep you. For it's written in his word, the work I began in you, I will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Where you are is not accidental. It's not circumstantial. It is the leading of God, even when it seems like there's nothing but death behind you and in front of you, that there's no escape. God leads you to places where your only option is Him, and you've been equipped for battle, but you've been equipping yourself for the wrong fight at the wrong time. And God, being merciful, leads them by the way of the wilderness. See, it was God's mercy that brought them to the edge. It was God's mercy that brought them to an impossible place. It was God's mercy that stripped them of their ability to fight so that they would see the Lord is God and there is no other. And God may be bringing you to a place where you have nothing but Red Sea in front of you, nothing but wilderness and armies behind you, and you are exactly where you ought to be. It is not a mistake. And so if you're on the edge and there's nowhere to go, you can do nothing but turn upward. 
So I think it's time that we do that, to sing praises to God and say, God, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know the lesson I'm ought to be learning right now, but I do know that you can be trusted, God. I knew, I knew when I started that my faith in you was not accidental, and I trust now at nighttime that your pillar of fire is just as faithful as your pillar of cloud, that at nighttime I can trust what I've heard in the daylight, that what was shouted on the rooftops is still true in the quiet, that God is still with me when it seems like he's not, and that requires faith requires you abandon the way of the Philistines and go the way of the wilderness. So would you rise on your feet and would you praise him? Would you say, God, I don't care that I'm off track in my own estimation. I trust you. I believe in you. I'll worship you. I will not doubt now what the Lord told me in the daylight, for he's trustworthy in the night. Would you praise him?